0: Hello and welcome to the Drucker Forum Report. I'm Peter Day with a podcast about some of the ideas that will be in the air and up for discussion at the 2017 Global Peter Drucker Forum in Vienna in November. And for this podcast, I'm back with Alison Stewart-Allen. She is Chief Executive of the consultancy International Marketing Partners based in London. Last time, we talked about leadership. But the conversation then continued with more about Professor Peter Drucker himself and, first, this year's forum theme. It's the highly topical one, Growth and Inclusive Prosperity. I put it to Alison Stewart-Allen that the implicit workforce bargain in the developed world seemed to have been shattered in recent years. National wealth grows, but many people feel left out, and recent votes in several countries seem to demonstrate that feeling. Capitalism itself is looking a bit threadbare. Something has gone wrong.
1: Definitely. I think you have cycles of inequality. And I think we're in the middle of, and I don't think we've peaked yet either, but I think you have these huge differences of income, of advantage, of access to education and access to health care and access to what people think should be afforded them if they pay tax and they're employed In their country. And as inequality continues to grow, it's actually going to get worse. You're going to have even more disenfranchised people who feel that they aren't being treated fairly, that they don't have access to opportunities in the way that other types of people do. And until you bring, whether it's salaries or it's gender diversity in the boardroom or whatever fixes it is, until you equalize a little bit more you're going to continue to have pushback from the people that are feeling profoundly economically excluded.
0: And pushback, maybe it's fairly sort of controlled at the moment, but pushback, when inequalities go on and on and make themselves more and more felt, becomes unrest, revolution, doesn't it? We only have to look back to France 200 years to see that.
1: Absolutely, and therefore... Business leaders need to be paying attention to the perception of inequality in their own staff. So there's a lot of news recently and increasingly with more transparency about corporate pay. Thanks to the Internet, we are seeing multiples of pay difference between the top jobs – and the lowest jobs in a company on the magnitude of hundreds of times.
0: I think one or two are thousands of times, or a thousand times anyway, in America.
1: But also in Europe, maybe not to the same extent in Europe, but certainly these multiples are worrying, and these multiples are now out there in the public domain. They weren't in the public domain 20, 30 years ago. We didn't have the technology to communicate this information.
0: And... It's all very well for you to talk about that to the people who hire you to advise them. But the rise of the robots mean that the disadvantaged class is going to become even more disadvantaged, is going to be out of work.
1: I'm not sure. I think we're talking about the types of skill sets that robots won't be able to do. So yes, AI is making huge advances. And yes, the forecasts are that robots will be able to do many of the jobs that blue collar. They're
0: already doing that. Cars are made by robots now, not by people. Uh, No, I'm talking about uh, the disadvantaged class going up into the educated classes, the people who process figures and statistics, the people who do medical work, because the a medical doctor can find far more uh, evidence of what you're suffering from and how to treat it than can any specialist from this millions of patients online. The the law is going to be disrupted by it, all sorts of things. This is a very wide class that's going to be eclipsed by robots in the end.
1: Potentially, but the challenge is making sure that there is some connection between the world of work and what is fulfilling and what customers want, educational institutions ensuring that they are training and educating their graduates on topics and in areas and domains that'll be very hard for robots to replicate. At the end of the day, business is about relationships. It's about human interaction. It's about human exchanges. There was a fantastic talk I heard recently at the TED conference in London, and one of the speakers said, every contact leaves a a trace. So every human interaction leaves a trace on another human being. When it comes to robots, robots are there mostly to do a lot of the tasks that maybe humans either don't want to do or are low value adding. I'm not so convinced robots will take over the world.
0: But every human action now leaves a trace on the mainframe, on the, the computers in the clouds. Vast banks of data that haven't existed
1: in the world before? They are leaving a trace that way, but they're not leaving emotions. So, you know, if you think about this point... Come
0: back in 20 years' time and tell me that, (laughs) when the machine has developed emotions.
1: I would be delighted. I hope you'll invite me.
0: (laughs) Now, you worked with Professor Peter Drucker. Not many people at the Drucker Forum actually encountered him, did they?
1: No, I don't think they did. Peter was my professor of strategy at Claremont, where I did my MBA. And I was there many years ago, 1983 to 1985. And he was just such a visionary even then. I mean, I... My challenge was trying to find a topic I could write about for his course, because it required writing a paper at the end of the term.
0: You've got it here somewhere.
1: I do indeed. In fact, it was written in April 1984, and it was called Social Responsibility A Report. And in 1984... Social responsibility for corporations had not even been coined as a phrase. Now we know it's corporate social responsibility. But in 1984, when I was doing the research for that paper, I was interviewing companies from the West Coast, from Los Angeles, asking them, you know, what do you do to give back to your community? How do you embed yourself as a corporate in this geography where you're doing business? They had no idea what I was talking about. I remember very distinctly having a conversation with Disney, saying, what do you do? Well, we give X thousand dollars every year to the Philharmonic. No, that's not quite what Peter meant. He was just so far ahead of his time, it's unbelievable. Well,
0: they were bathing in the words in the New York Times magazine in 1970 of Professor Milton Friedman of Chicago that the social responsibility of business was either business or profit, I can't remember, but it boiled down to the same thing. The great monetarist argument extended
1: to corporate life. Absolutely. But back in 84, when I was in Peter Drucker's course, that's not really what he was saying. He was suggesting that inclusion and social consciousness actually was going to be part of the business equation. It wasn't all about profit. It was also about giving back, embedding, taking a long-term view, I mean, these are concepts now that are really quite trendy. Not then. No one even thought about those things. They're concepts
0: that are trendy, but how much has the idea of social responsibility modified the behavior of great corporations? Because we seem to have a cascade of worse behavior than we've had in the past, from the banks, from the airlines dragging people off planes, from the automobile companies faking their results, Mm -hmm. big pharma, food... That's another reason why capitalism is looking pretty tatty, because they say one thing and do exactly the opposite.
1: Yes, I think business has a lot to answer for. And if you look at some of the statistics and tracking studies, so for example, Edelman has an annual trust barometer, which is very insightful. And if you look at the trend line over the last 13 years that they've been doing the study, you see year on year that the reputation and faith put by informed publics in business and business leaders is going off a cliff. It's terrible. We've never had a crisis like this in terms of trust in business like the one we're having at this very moment in time. And the tools are at our disposal. It's partly common sense. It's humanity. It's empathy. It's the fact that you have the Internet that lets you be even more transparent about how you operate as a business. And it's the Internet that has exposed a lot of the scandals you just mentioned. So I think what companies are finding is a huge difference discomfort with the pressure put upon them by the media, by applicants and students and young people applying for jobs in these companies via Glassdoor, for example, that rates what it's like to work in these companies. LinkedIn, there are so many avenues. So, you know, we're now in an era of hugely increased transparency. People can share their points of view about what it's like to engage with these big brands and with the leaders behind the big brands. It's now enabling people to do a little more homework, to do a little more digging, and to find out what it's really like in a lot of these businesses and whether these businesses are actually true to their word. They make promises about social giving, about social enterprise. About dis- our
0: stakeholders, whatever that means. Who knows what it means, but anyway, it sounds good.
1: It does, but we can now check up on whether these companies are del- delivering on these promises and check how hollow or not they are.
0: And yet they seem to be getting away with a lot. So all this transparency is not at the moment bringing them to heel.
1: It isn't yet. I have faith that as we get more educated as consumers investors. We are demanding increasingly that these companies behave in ways that are much more self-aware. A couple of my clients are in the asset management business. They own their pension funds that they manage, own many of these large global corporations. And it's the asset managers increasingly asking some very tough questions about women on the board, about certain corporate behaviors that actually are damaging the company's profits, returns and engagement, ability to hire people. There are a lot of impacts from the way these companies behave.
0: But alongside that, you have the new owners for a microsecond of companies who are computerized trading computers owned by great big funds. That puts another perspective on shareholder responsibility, doesn't it? If you own a company for a microsecond while you're arbitraging it
1: uh definitely but i think if you look at the way many of the large pension fund managers invest Generally, they aren't just doing trades in nanoseconds. Increasingly, they're looking to hold those shares for a lot longer because in that portfolio, they want stocks from companies that have a conscience, that care about what Peter said in 1984, that have a social responsibility, are inclusive, and make that pay.
0: Peter Drucker was very forward-looking when you knew him, even in old age. Is he still relevant
1: I think he's more relevant than ever before. If you think about a lot of the ideas that he put forward up until he sadly passed just after the millennium, his view of the mechanics of business, the way business leaders need to think holistically – not just focused on the bottom line. He was a systems thinker that is now ever more relevant in it because now we're in a system in business that's much bigger than it has ever been before. And that complexity in the system is going to continue to increase.
0: Have business schools woken up to how changed a world they are operating in? They're still producing, or seem to me to be producing, very confident people who pay a lot of money for a group of associates they will be with for the rest of their lives. The tools, very clever people with the right tools, impressed by the right professors, and this overweening self-confidence. And They're then sent out into the world, and they do jolly well, but they're not given an overview of what a company does. Hence, maybe, the subprime crisis. It was people doing, to the best of their efforts, fantastic things in packaging up dodgy loans and making, then selling them on to people. Nobody saw the overview of
1: what was happening to the banks and institutions involved in that trading. That's true. And what it really boils down to is the culture of the business It's the culture of the companies that were rewarding short-term behaviors. The reason that you had these subprime mortgage packages and these creative instruments like credit default swaps and cocos, etc., was because the people that created those instruments inside the banks... Who cleverly
0: trained at clever business schools.
1: Yes, but they were rewarded for that behavior. They were rewarded for coming up with these innovations, if you want to call them that, of clever financial instruments, because they got bonused for these. So, of course... The
0: curse of the bonus, then.
1: hmm, You're going to do things where you're going to get rewarded, and you're not going to do things where you're not rewarded. And I think what has hopefully started to become a wake-up call for financial institutions, maybe we're not there yet, I'm not sure, but many of them now are much more aware of the fact that they rewarded the wrong behaviors. And in part, That goes a long way towards explaining why people went to the extremes they went to to try to package bad loans.
0: Once upon a time, companies were known mainly for the things they made or the services they produced. Something happened in the 80s when they started being rewarded for managing companies and the accountants moved in. So you had accountants running companies leaked out from America to the rest of the world in a way that didn't happen before. Germany and Japan, engineers still run companies companies and it's a different world,
1: isn't it? Um I'm not sure that the accountants in American corporates are consistently those that make it to the top. Actually my view is that accountants and finance backgrounded people run British institutions, and you and get those a,
0: Saxon capitalism, they call it in France, don't they?
1: They do, but I do think if you look at where CEOs come from in the States, versus you look at where CEOs come from in British companies, you have a much more diverse mix, interestingly, in America. They come from sales, they come from business development, they come from marketing, they'll come from occasionally HR, not that often. They may come from finance, but there's much more diversity in terms of functional background in America than generally this side of the Atlantic.
0: Many thanks again to Alison Stewart-Allen. She is chief executive of a consultancy called International Marketing Partners, and she's one of the participants in the ninth annual Global Peter Drucker Forum taking place in Vienna in November. More podcasts with people other than Alison coming up soon.